Welcome into another edition of the Designated for Assignment podcast. Rob Wong, Josh Goldberg with you. You can always get us on Twitter at DFA underscore pod at Rob Wong 34 and at Jay Goldberg 12. It is the final episode before the trade deadline on Tuesday. Hard to believe it's uh, Josh, but we're finally here. Feels like we've been talking about the trade deadline since April. Like I yeah, think people have had this date circled for quite a long time. Every single week, we always get questions on Twitter. Who do you think the Jays should get? Uh, what prospects should they be giving up? Well, we will finally have our answer in about uh, 48 hours time as the deadline goes on a Tuesday evening at 6 p.m., I believe. So it's uh, going to be a little bit longer for people to wait it out, but uh, we'll get our answers sooner rather than later. The Blue Jays, of course, rolling right now, too, coming out of the All-Star break. They're uh, finishing up. They finished up a 4-2 and homestand against the Cardinals and the Detroit Tigers. Matt Chapman was just an absolute beast. We, of course, will get a lot of conversation in about him today. We'll talk about Jose Brios, who was strong, George Springer's injury. But, of course, a large focus of this show will be on the trade deadline. And as I mentioned, with injuries to guys like George Springer, we saw Alec Manoa forced to leave the game the other day after taking a comebacker off the elbow. Seems like he's going to be okay, and the Blue Jays dodged a bullet there. But when we look at this team, Josh, still seems like the same things are, you know, the the major focuses of this front office. There needs to be some more arms, whether it's in the starting rotation or the bullpen, and maybe another outfielder, uh, preferably a left-handed bat, uh, wouldn't hurt too much either. Is that kind of how you see it, that uh, not too much has changed when it comes to the focus of this front office? Yeah, it's been pretty consistent for a while now. The areas are the areas, and and now it's incumbent on this front office to figure out uh, a way to get them done. And uh, our buddy uh, Ben Nicholson-Smith of Sportsnet, I think this is like about an hour ago as we record this on a Sunday afternoon, I tweeted uh, something about Joe Jimenez and Gregory Soto and how great they've been all year and how great they are as fits for the Blue Jays. But the asking price on them is believed to be very, very high. Uh, just wouldn't expect Tigers to part with them unless the return is real, which like isn't surprising. They're not rentals. They throw hard, especially Jimenez misses bats. He's the one that I would prefer for the Jays way more so um, than Gregory Soto. Soto would be totally fine and, and an improvement. You throw 100 from the left side with that kind of movement, it's never going to be a bad thing. But I think it just illustrates and underscores, you know, rental relievers are going to be attainable. You want to trade for rental relievers, you're going to be able to do that uh, in spades. You know, this front office has never really, um, you know, dabbled much in trading legit assets for relievers, especially relievers with control. And both those guys would have control. And I think it was yeah, Jeff Passan was on. Uh, I, I or I saw him earlier this week talking about it. You know, maybe the Blue Jays shouldn't push the chips all in because you know the Yankees and Astros are so good. And it was so weird to hear that because the Atlanta Braves won the World Series last year. If you think you're a playoff team and you fancy yourself a contender, you push the chips in. So, like I, I just wonder how uncomfortable and out of character Ross Atkins is willing to get here to address the biggest area of need, which is the bullpen, because like the rental relievers or there's some decent ones out there, but like Michael Fulmer's not really moving the needle uh, that much for me. It would be a fine move. A couple of rental relievers would probably be, you know, effective, but I think the best, most impactful relievers realistically that are attainable or, or potentially available come with some control, which will cost more in terms of capital prospects, whatever, and I just wonder, are the Blue Jays really willing 
to go there to acquire somebody like a Jimenez, somebody like a Soto. And I honestly don't know. I, I, I really don't. I'm, I'm very interested to see what happens. Yeah, this front office has been very hesitant to, you know, take a deep dive into, uh, you know, relievers um, as far as paying a, a high cost. You know, all you have to do is look back uh, last year, of course, where they picked up Brad Hand and Joaquin Soria. Now they did get, you know, Trevor Richards and uh, Adam Simber prior to the deadline. But, you know, you add up all those names together and it's, you know, not a Gregory Soto. It's not a Joe Jimenez. It's not even this year a David Robertson or even a guy like Chris Martin who moved uh, this weekend uh, in a trade as well. Like these are, you know, not exactly the the sexiest names. Uh, some of them obviously are better than others, uh, but the Blue Jays have been very hesitant in the past to you know pay a big price for for some of these guys so you know it's just not in their nature I think if they you know did acquire a Gregory Soto or a Joe Jimenez or you know one of these relievers a David Bednar I think I'd be pretty surprised to be honest like I think they you know should do it but I totally get it just based on their track record that it's just not really their MO Um, and unfortunately in this trade market you know Luis Castillo the the Reds and Mariners they kind of set Uh, the tone for what it's going to cost to get a guy like that. Who knows what's going to happen with Juan Soto, but that's in its own stratosphere um, for what might get done between uh, the nationals and one of those NL teams that seem to be in the mix for him. But it does feel like if you want to get something done in this trade market, you're going to have to do something very uncomfortable, um, especially for players with term and maybe even for some guys that, that are rentals at the top of the market, whether it's a, you know, a David Robertson or uh, of that ilk. Like I know Chris Martin, um, you know, went to the Cubs from the Cubs to the Dodgers the other day for uh, Zach McKinstry, who's, you know, 27 years old. He's been around the block a little bit with the Dodgers has had, you know, sort of a cup of tea, uh, but he's a guy that I think, you know, has a lot of control left. Um, So, you know, an interesting gamble by the Cubs. Um, I don't know if the Blue Jays necessarily have someone like that, that they could have moved because I think Chris Martin would have been a great fit um, in this bullpen. But, you know, what I can say is based off of the history of this front office, especially the last couple of years, they're going to do something. Like, I, I can't see them not doing anything. Uh, even in 2020, they went out and got Jonathan VR, which was uh, just a shit show. But they also got Robbie Ray, who, you know, made a presence in, in that, uh, you know, wild card series against the uh, the Tampa Bay Rays, at least in that one appearance, uh, in, in a loss, of course. And last year, you know, Jose Barrios, that was a pretty big splash uh, outside of the Brad Hand and uh, Joaquin Soria deals. So, you know, they're not afraid to do something. I think it's just going to be interesting to see the magnitude of how you know much they're willing to swing for the fences this year yeah i I, like i look at the prices that have been paid like the castillo deal like i have no idea everyone who's like saying oh well the reds flee seattle you have no fucking idea what's going to happen in a couple years like it could end up like if castillo doesn't resign and seattle doesn't have much success this year or next then it's already a loss of a trade but that doesn't Um, make the decision to go for it a bad one. Like I am admire a team like Seattle getting uncomfortable and parting with, I think it was three of their top five prospects for a year and a half of Luis Castillo. It was a really good pitcher. Like let's not mince words. He's excellent. He's going to make them better. And if they make the playoffs, they're going to be difficult in a short series with him and Robbie Ray and maybe Logan Gilbert. That's a good spot to be in throwing, you know, George Kirby has looked good as well. 
that's a good situation to find yourself in. And starting pitching is super important in short playoff series. So I, I commend them for that. But then you look at the price that they paid for uh, not a rental and the probably the top player available outside of Soto on the market. Huge. Then look at what the Yankees paid for Andrew Benintendi, a rental outfielder. You know, three kind of middling prospects, some upside, but nothing, you know, that you're really feeling like, oh, that could end up, that's definitely going to end up coming back to bite you in the ass. It certainly could, but I think a lot of people were surprised at the return that uh, Kansas City was able to get for an all-star in Ben Benintendi. And then I look at what the Rays paid for David Peralta, who I understand is not the player maybe he was a couple of years ago. I think he won a silver slugger. But he's still an above average bat. And the Rays uh, look for that type of player who can provide some value. Last year of his deal, rental as well. Not even a top 30 prospect uh, they parted with, uh, according to MLB.com, a catcher, a 19-year-old. Maybe in five years, six years, he's something. But odds are he's probably not going to materialize into much. And I bet Peralta will have moments for them as they try and make the playoffs. So, in on that sense, you know, rentals, maybe certain rentals aren't going to cost as much. It's always difficult because, you know, teams have their own individual set of valuations and, you know, what fan graphs or baseball America or MLB.com has as a list of prospects, you know, front office type scouts might get together and say, well, just because this guy's a little further down the list or not on the list of top 30 prospects or whatever it is altogether, uh, that doesn't mean that we don't think that there's value there and something that this particular player does fits our development style. That's all it takes sometimes to get deals done. So I, I would caution against, you know, putting everything in these, these rankings, these lists, they're a very effective tool and they're invaluable for us. People like us fans, you know, media types who aren't in the weeds when it comes to watching and evaluating prospects. But I, I think that, you know, teams have their own set of rankings that inform their decisions in terms of what kind of deals they do or don't make. Yeah, and I think that's a great point that you make that, you know, while, you know, we do see a lot of reports out there that, you know, teams are asking for the moon on certain players and that, you know, the cost is very high. Some of these deals have sort of said otherwise. You know, you mentioned a David Peralta, you know, Chris Martin getting, uh, you know, the Cubs getting Zach McKinstry in that deal. Like, you know, some of these other moves that have been made, the Interpenitendi one, it's like, okay, like these are prices that the Blue Jays could have paid on these guys who knew, who knows how much interest they actually um, had on some of them. I think all three of those guys you know her names that have been connected to the Blue Jays uh, at one point or another but who hasn't uh, been connected to the Blue Jays I think pretty much everyone that has been in the rumor mill has over the last couple of months so um, you know I again as we get to the point uh, that we were talking about off the top it's still arms it's still you know a bat in this lineup the offense has been much better, of course, you know, over the last couple of months, they've uh, really turned things around, but, you know, George Springer's lingering elbow injury, which who knows what is going on there. I mean, he obviously has that one game uh, against Detroit where he just looked in a lot of pain. It was a high impact game. Uh, as John Schneider put it, didn't play the next game, came out for the next game, then didn't play in the finale is just, you know, one of those things that they're going to have to manage all season long. I guess it's a good thing that he's not on the IL. If he was on the IL, that would suggest maybe it's, 
uh, a lot more severe that he, you know, does need a lot of time off to, to recuperate. But, you know, I, I think right now I, I'm kind of in a spot where an outfielder, you know, makes sense just as insurance for George Springer in case, you know, it does get worse. Um, and, you know, Rymel Tapia has been fine. I mean, heck, he's been more than fine. Um, but I still think he's someone I don't want playing every day. I want him playing against right-handed pitchers that he can attack and putting him in different situations. I continue to look at Chicago and Ian Happ, you know, with a healthy George Springer, it's going to be tough to find some ABs there, you know, trying to rotate him and others and Alejandro Kirk in that DH spot. So it's a bit of a tough fit. I'm sure, you know, the Blue Jays could make it work. Um, But, you know, I I would still like to see them get a bat of some sort of substance as opposed to, you know, another fourth or fifth outfielder. Like I wouldn't mind seeing someone come in here that can swing it from the left side to to make things interesting for this lineup. Yeah, I I continue to also look at Ian Happ and, you know, a lot of people have said, well, where's Ian Happ going to play? And, you know, the Springer situation is a real wild card and, and, and that might answer it. He's not, you know, center field. I don't know if I'd love Ian Happ consistently playing center field, but he can handle himself out there. I think he'd be better um, than, than Tapia and that lefty. I under, I think that his, his right, uh, his right splits in terms of the switch hitting splits have been better this year, but he's has success hitting right-handed pitching from the left side can run, can play defense, can play multiple positions. He will cost a decent chunk of change because he's got another year of team control and you might make a deal like that. And then look at him as a potential replacement for a Teoscar Hernandez or Lourdes Gurriel Jr. Who you could look to flip in, in the off season for pitching because you know, there were some rumblings before the lockout struck that uh, the Blue Jays and Marlins were in conversations with Teoscar. And I think it was Pablo Lopez, probably. I think it was an unnamed starting pitcher from the Marlins and maybe Brian Anderson, the third baseman as well. You know, they ended up getting Matt Chapman, the Jays, which which worked out really well. But that, that could be something that ends up getting revisited. So, you know, just because it creates a log jam in theory, right now and you still figure out ways to to get happen there i understand kirk's got a dh but you know you'll figure it out to play he can play the infield as well like he, he hasn't done it a ton this year but he has experience playing second and third base there's plenty of ways you could get ian hop in there and short-term confusion for potentially mid or longer term clarity if you end up making one of those deals uh like i that wouldn't be the reason that i would make it I think Ian Happ could deliver some value here and, and could fill a need uh, for this ball club, but it wouldn't be a short-term move necessarily. Like he could end up making an impact uh, in a corner outfield spot as soon as next season, if you do make that type of trade. And the tough part, you know, with only having one trade deadline as well, you can never predict injuries and yeah. project for them. Um, but this is the only chance you get right to uh, making a move here to, to bring in some depth. So, um, you know, we've seen it before with a team like the Dodgers where, you know, they have guys that can start on like every other team coming off their bench and playing um, different roles. And, and maybe Ian Happ can, can do that where you just kind of move them a little bit everywhere around the diamond to be able to, to get that bat into uh, the lineup when guys need some off days, but uh, it just makes things a little bit more intriguing with uh, only this one uh, trade deadline, but he's, you know, obviously near the top of uh, many trade boards with regards to hitters. I thought it was interesting seeing as well. Um, some tweets come out about uh, the San Francisco giants who are in a precarious spot right now 
obviously had a phenomenal season a year ago this year. It's been a little bit tougher, but, you know, Carlos Rodon, Jock Peterson uh, could be a tandem that uh, could be on the move. I don't know if, you know, the Giants are going to do that. I mean, there are only four games back. Uh, the Cardinals are in front of them. Uh, the Phillies holding down that third wild card spot. There's still a lot of baseball left to play. Um, they have a positive run differential. So, you know, they are a, a talented team, but, you know, David Robertson, Ian Happ, that's a fantastic duo, but uh, a Carlos Rodon, Jock Peterson tandem would be great as well um the the ask though i would imagine uh that would differentiate those two deals would be quite a bit and we talked before about the blue jays get, uh, feeling uncomfortable about doing something i think that would be a pretty uncomfortable deal to make if you were to bring in uh those two guys especially rodon who can uh, opt out at the end of the season of his uh, two-year deal that he signed with the giants so he's basically a rental i can't imagine seeing him uh, not opt out if he especially stays healthy through the end of the year yeah, I guess that's the the question mark with him is health. And, you know, there's risk there if he does get end up getting injured, which is not a 0% chance considering his history, then you could potentially be on the hook for 20 plus million and a guy who, you know, could be a question mark. But I would still, if he becomes available, then yeah, you have to, you have to look at it because he's been healthy the last couple of years. And like if it's not even close. Like if I had to to choose, I saw you know the Jays were connected to Frankie Montes with the Cardinals and the Yankees, and I had to choose between Rodon and Montes as somebody for the Blue Jays that I would prefer. It would be Rodon. It wouldn't even be close. Like the Montes shoulder stuff. I understand Rodon has injury history as well, but he's actually been healthy uh, this year and last year. Like a guy with shoulder issues. Going into the deadline, I don't, I don't like it. And the fact that he also carries that extra year of control, he's not going to cost a lot less than Luis Castillo. He probably will cost less because of the shoulder issues, and you know maybe some teams just won't view him as as proven of an option, which might be foolish. I don't know if he's going to cost quite as much, but he's not. He's going to cost a ton, an arm and a leg, and I, that's just not a guy with that red flag. Of, of injury stuff that I would feel comfortable paying for Rodon on the other hand, you know, the certainly not a zero risk situation, but I'd be more comfortable paying a legitimate price because I, I just, I also think he carries more upside. Like when he's locked in, he's as dominant as any pitcher in baseball. And that's worth taking on a little bit of risk uh, more than Montes. I like, I, I honestly, like I said, I don't think it's particularly close for me. Yeah, I'm with you as well. The Monta stuff scares me with the uh, the shoulder issue that he had earlier this year. Um, he's had a great season when he's been healthy, but uh, that is pretty uh, terrifying. And, and Rodon, the the health you know stuff. Hopefully, he's past that, but uh, it always sort of lingers in in the back of your mind. Uh, Jock Peterson, always a fan of Jock Peterson. Uh, I wish the Blue Jays went out and tried to get him when he was a free agent, and uh, maybe they have an opportunity here to dive in there. His outfield defense uh, is questionable uh, yeah. at times, but obviously brings a lot at the plate as a, a lefty bat. We saw what he did last year in the postseason for the Braves. So obviously has a, a ton of big time experience in the playoffs uh, back with the Dodgers as well. So he'd be a, an intriguing option if the Blue Jays did decide to go that route. Another guy that uh, has been connected to the Blue Jays for quite a long time, I guess even dating back to the offseason when uh, there was reports out there. I think it was Craig Mish who covers the Marlins was talking about the Blue Jays and Marlins talking about some of their young starters. Pablo Lopez, I think Teoscar Hernandez's name was kind of bandied about as a uh, potential uh, trade partner. 
uh, between the two teams as uh, someone that could have been on the move. So you would have to think the Blue Jays and Marlins have at least, you know, had conversations in the past. Maybe there was some, you know, groundwork to get something done. They obviously have their history making the deal last year with uh, Adam Simber and Corey Dickerson coming to Toronto. Pablo Lopez, who uh, has been, you know, great at times this year uh, of late, hasn't been as sharp, but uh, definitely one of my uh, favorite targets out there. Uh, what do you think about Pablo Lopez as opposed to, you know, one of these other guys, whether it's a Carlos Rodon or a Frankie Montas? I'm actually kind of lukewarm on Pablo Lopez. Like, I, no doubt he's a solid starting pitcher. Like, he's a quality option. Doesn't strike enough guys out for my liking, you know, and, and some of his numbers, you look at them and you wonder, you know, is there, is it totally for real? Is he outperforming in some respects? Would a move to the American league East serve him? Well, you know, it's quite a culture shock, shock to the system to go from the NL East, even without the pitcher anymore. It still is not the just meat grinder that the American league East is. How much would that factor in? Like, he would be totally solid. Like I, I think it, he's a number three in a good rotation realistically, which might work for the blue Jays because, you know, I know Gosman has been kind of inconsistent of late, but, but behind Manoa and Gosman, like would Pablo Lopez even be a better option than Jose Barrios? I struggle to see that. Like I understand Barrios has not been great this year, but I still think at his best, I'd take him over, uh, Pablo Lopez. So considering what the, the cost is going to be, I think it's probably not a route I would go, but I wouldn't be the least bit surprised if the Jays go there. And I, I feel like I'm probably likely to be in the minority on not being, you know, super high or as high as a lot of people are on Lopez. Yeah, and he's a guy that has several years of control left. So, yeah. you know, if we're talking about paying high prices for a guy like Montas and, and Rodon, who have a shorter amount of time left of control, uh, Lopez is going to cost you quite a bit if you want to get that deal done. But he does come with, you know, several years of being in, in your rotation. So um, it's sort of a, a situation where you have to balance and, and figure out if it's someone that you do uh, want to move forward with. There are, you know, some lesser options out there as well. You know, Noah Syndergaard's name continues to get thrown out there. Um, I know some people are, you know, definitely high on him. He's not the same guy that he was a couple of years ago uh, with the New York Mets. But I think uh, I was reading, you know, Saris's uh, stuff on the athletic and Syndergaard still rates pretty high as far as, you know, some of the pitching metrics that he um, uses. So he could be interesting. Who knows what the Blue Jays have internally? You know, Nathan Eovaldi, uh, despite what happened uh, with him and the Blue Jays a couple of weeks ago in Boston, you know, people are kind of hyping him up as an interesting target, throws hard, you know, very very similar and that doesn't strike out a ton of guys because the fastball is pretty straight, but you know, has experience in the playoffs can pitch in a multitude of roles. I'm actually pretty intrigued uh, by him, you know, coming off last season where he was really strong this year, obviously hasn't been uh, as good. Jose Quintana continues to be another name that's thrown out there. Uh, Drew Smiley, which doesn't exactly, uh, you know, uh, get things going for me, but you know, this is where we're kind of landing, you know, beyond the Montas's and Rodon's it's the cinder guards. It's the E of it's the Jose Quintana's and not that it would be bad if the Blue Jays went out and got that those guys it would be an improvement to their rotation and uh, adding some of those arms but you know I guess it just kind of gets back to my uh, expectations here I really don't know what to expect uh, because I could see the Blue Jays playing in the upper echelon but I could also see them not dumpster diving because I think that's too harsh of a term to use but I could see them just going out and being like you know what 
we don't want to pay the price for a Pablo Lopez and a Carlos Rodon. Like we'll just settle for, I'm just going to throw some names out there, like Michael Givens and, you know, a Drew Smiley and, you know, know, wipe our hands. We're done. Like that's, that's all we could do. And I think people are going to be disappointed, right? Like, especially all the names that have been connected to them for the last couple of months. If the Blue Jays come out on Tuesday and all they get is, Drew Smiley, um, you know, Michael Givens and Ben Gamble. Um, I don't think people are going to no. be too, too excited. No, I, I don't know how you could be like, I, I could see a scenario in which they get like Anthony Bass and Michael Fulmer or something to address their bullpen, which would be fine. I like Bass. Bass is yeah, I like year. Bass too. He's improved his command. You know, those two guys, eh, like, you could run into some of the same problems that you already have here. Like Fulmer's got in theory, more overpowering stuff. You look at some of his numbers, like he limits hard contact, but his strikeouts are not particularly strong. And like, he's been outperforming. I think some of his metrics, like his ERA, I think is due to climb. So I don't know if I want to take bets on, on guys like that. Bass, like we saw him here a couple of years ago, he had his moments and then he was awful at times. He's been much better this year, but that doesn't check the boxes. Like the need, the needs to me, like as much as we want to talk about, and I do think that a lefty bat, potentially somebody who can play the outfield, especially with the Springer news is important. Like bullpen is clearly number one, but you look at the rotation, like there's inconsistencies. The Manoa near injury the other night was you know, your heart was in your chest thinking about what that might do to the entire complexion of the season and the deadline plans, obviously. But you look at, you have two guys in your rotation. I know Kikuchi was good when he came back. It was the Tigers who are awful. I'm not betting on that. Like you just, you, you can't, if he continues to get the job done when he takes the ball, kudos to him. But I don't know how you can actually soundly sleep at night expecting that that was going to be the case or is going to be the case. Ross Stripling too. I understand has had a lot of great moments this year. You look at his log of, of innings since he really came back into the rotation. There's a lot of, you know, four, four and a third, four and two thirds, five, five and a third. There's value in that, but I would prefer it if somebody could go a little bit deeper into ball games. If you have a, if if you have a deeper bullpen, then that isn't going to bother you quite as much. But if that happens every time, that leaves you a little bit behind the eight ball, especially if you don't have off days baked into your schedule. So starting pitching is important too. Like at least one proven option to come in and either take the, the ball from Kikuchi or Stripling or put pressure on them or provide depth because you just can't live with Max Castillo being the next guy up if anything was to happen. I, I know that he's had moments, but you're in a pennant race here or a playoff race, whatever the fuck you want to call it. You can't have that. That's not good enough. And I understand that, you know, Cindergard is not the pitcher he used to be. And Quintana, everyone just assumes that he's going to go to shit if he moves to the AL East. All of that could very well end up being the case, but you have to fortify things a little bit. I, I just think that things in the rotation are perilously thin right now, where if something goes wrong or a couple of guys continue to be inconsistent, then you're in a real tough position to get to the playoffs uh, down the stretch. You got some tough games in August. You just, I think you need better than what you've got right now. And uh, that's not far behind the bullpen for me on a list of priorities. Yeah. I think, you know, the way I'm looking at it is, you know, if you're, if their goal is to 
make a deep run here, and I imagine it is, you know, is some of these, you know, minor additions, I don't want to call them minor because they would obviously improve the team. But, you know, in my scenario before, when I threw out a Drew Smiley and a Ben Gamble, like, is that enough to push you past the Yankees and an Astros in a DS no. or a CS? Like, I, I don't, it's not, right? Like, it's just not. No. So, you know, you have to figure out what your goal is. If your goal is to beat those teams that, this year, you're just going to need more firepower because you do not have enough to go up against guys like Aaron Judge and Jordan Alvarez right now. Like, I, I love Jordan Romano, and he's been great. I love Jimmy Garcia and what, you know, those guys have done. But it's just not enough to rely on two guys. I know the pen has been really, really strong the last couple of weeks, but it's also helped that they've played some terrible offenses um, to be able to kind of mow some of these shitty teams down. So, you know, Joe Jimenez, Gregory Soto, if that's not going to happen, at least, you know, get me a Lou Trevino or, you know, Anthony Bass, just more swing and miss. And Ross Atkins admitted it basically um, in his most recent conversation with the media. It's like, we're not necessarily looking for strikeouts, but, or like high velocity, we just need more swing and miss because that's what they don't have uh, right now for a lot of the guys in the pen. So, you know, I, I'd be pretty shocked if the Blue Jays didn't get, you know, one or two guys that can miss some bats out of the bullpen. Uh, yeah, I pray to God it's not, uh, you know, Michael Givens or Drew Smiley. And if they do, uh, I guess we're going to have to talk about, you know, Michael Givens' role in the seventh inning or uh, Drew Smiley's, uh, you know, role in this yeah. bullpen. But, you know, those guys could happen, uh, unfortunately. And uh, we'll just have to deal with it uh, if it does end up going down uh, later this week. We'll talk more about the uh, trade deadline when we get to listener questions, as we have a lot of people wanting to uh, chime in on their hypothetical deals. But got to talk about Matt Chapman, who uh, is just on an absolute heater. And I wouldn't even say like the last couple of weeks, this is, you know, peak Matt Chapman. But this has been going on now since about June Josh, where he has turned it around after a really, you know, tough first couple of months. Um, I know we spoke about Matt Chapman around the all-star break and, you know, gave him, uh, you know, sort of subpar grades as for, as far as his whole season on the whole. Um, now, what a difference a couple of weeks makes where, you know, if we did it today and said, what would you give Matt Chapman's grade? I think we're looking closer to, you know, an A as opposed to, you know, C plus B minus, I think is what we gave him back then, but he has started to swing it. Uh, very much like the guy who was a monster back in, you know, 2018 uh, when he was one of the better players in all of Major League Baseball. I, I tweeted it out, uh, you know, last week when he uh, hit those two homers against Detroit. Like he's basically since June been hitting like 2015 Josh Donaldson because I was trying yeah. to draw that comparison to Donaldson. Like that's how good he has been. The WRC plus is now up to, you know, in the mid 120s, uh, which is really, really impressive. But not saying he's going to keep doing this all season long, but I think he's showing right now why the Blue Jays went out and got him. Yeah, and and statistically speaking, he's not having a great defensive year, but I continue to say that just his mere presence on the field has helped this entire club defensively. Like, his just the domino effect. They're a better defensive team uh, this year than they have been. They were pretty decent in some respects last year, but it's only gotten better this year. They're an objectively now a good defensive team, which a couple of years ago, I would not have said was going to be all that likely to happen. And we talked this year, how all he needed to do was have a league average ish offensive season. And he'd probably put up a monster year. You know, little did we know that defensively he might give a little bit, bit back. But coming into today, I think he was worth about two and a half wins, according to fan graphs. That's probably going to creep up after hitting a home run, having another hit. He's probably, I would say, 
he might get to four. He probably should get to four, maybe four and a half. That's a real, real productive season. And he could hit 30 home runs. You know, a lot of people are saying move him up in the lineup because, you know, like Bichette has struggled. I think some people are starting to wonder, you know, should Kirk be hitting third? I'm content to leave him where he is. Like, I don't want to rock the boat too much. If he's hot, stick him where he is right now. Let him continue to do his thing. Maybe you make a a change at some other point. But right now, I'm content to leave him as is. And like, we both, I think, agreed that that was a great deal at the time. And it's just been validated. You know, they needed a third baseman who you could basically just set and forget. And we were going into the year thinking, oh, it's going to be Espinal and Biggio at third and second. And now it's allowed Biggio to be, I think, in his more comfortable role, which is roving all over the place, you know, not necessarily playing every day. Espinal, I think, is a real quality second baseman. And Chapman is just such a steadying presence at third base. Sounds like he's really good in the clubhouse as well. It's gone outside of, you know, a rocky first six, eight weeks. It's gone as good as anyone could have hoped it would have gone. But yeah, I think what's been really good is, you know, that position you haven't had to worry about all season long. Like last year, it was a topic of conversation seemingly every week, you know, when Kevin Biggio was struggling over there. Espinal was, you know, strong, but obviously, um, you know, you're looking for more of a, a bat out of uh, that corner infield spot. So, you know, just to have Chapman in the lineup this year, you haven't worried about the defense. Like you said, it hasn't been as good as it has been in years past. But, you know, this lineup as well has kind of allowed him to just, you know, go at his own speed. He, you know, was hitting the ball hard in April and May. And part of that was due to the dead in baseball, um, which Rob Manfred has admitted that, yeah, the baseball was like a cement rock, um, you know, at the beginning of the year. Uh, and then they changed the ball and now it's actually starting to leave the yard again. The weather's getting better. So who knows if the same ball was used back in April, who knows what Matt Chapman's numbers would look like because all the expected stats were, you know, through the roof and it was only a matter of time before, you know, the, the results would start to uh, show up. But I think what's, you know, great about the deal that the Blue Jays got with him is that they basically taught, got two years of control with him and he's going to be back next year after signing that, uh, you know, new deal to, to make sure that he is locked in for a certain number you know, is there potential here that he's going to be a Blue Jay beyond those years? Because I think initially people said, yeah, he's just a two-year guy, and then you just move on and you figure it out. But, I mean, how many, you know, 29, 30-year-old third basemen are you going to find that can provide at least above-average defense and can, you know, kind of swing it? Like, it looks like he has, you know, regained his form. The strikeouts are down from where they were a year ago, the last couple of seasons. He's not in the 30% anymore, still walks at a a decent rate. Like I said, he's not going to continue to hit at this pace where, you know, he would be one of the top, you know, 30 hitters in all of Major League Baseball, but, you know, might not be the worst thing to maybe lock him up for a couple more years. I mean, if he's going at this route, maybe he's looking for a pretty monster deal, you know, hitting free agency once again, uh, sorry, hitting free agency for, for the first time in a couple of years. But, you know, I think it's interesting to at least that have that conversation now. Could Matt Chapman actually be a Blue Jay beyond next season? Yeah, he's going, he'll be going into his, I think, his age 31 season um, in the first year of his new deal when he reaches free agency. So, I think that I'm a, a little bit skeptical. Like I honestly would be curious what type of deal, um, you know, it would even take like nine figures, how many years again, I think part of it also, you know, is connected 
what's a Ralvis Martinez looking like in a couple of years? Like, and if he's ready to bang down the door and be your third baseman, then I think that that really informs your decision-making uh, in some respects as well. Like if he, or maybe he gets dealt and you look at it as, you know, Matt Chapman's going to be our guy here and we're comfortable trading a Ralvis because we feel like we can get Matt Chapman signed long-term. I, I think that, you know, it's too early to say, but I, I do think that part of it, you know, or big, maybe a big part of it is connected to how they feel about Aurelvis. Yeah. And the other thing too, is uh, other guys are going to have to get paid uh, down yes. the line here. You can't pay everybody. So, you know, maybe Matt Chapman um, is ultimately going to be, you know, a two-year guy with this team. And then uh, they figure it out at the uh, end of next season. But uh, he's been amazing this year, um, especially of late carrying this offense. All right, let's get to the listener questions. As always, you can reach us on Twitter at DFA underscore pod at Rob Wong three, four and at Jay Goldberg 12. This week, we asked you for all your hypothetical trades and uh, we tried to select, I wouldn't say the best ones, but you know, the ones that definitely are intriguing. Uh, We didn't want to get, you know, any, Hey, Bradley Zimmer for Juan Soto or, uh, you know, Anthony Bonda for Shohei Otani. Like we weren't going to read those uh, on the air. We wanted some that were at least a little bit intriguing or uh, ones that we thought could be potentially realistic. So uh, let's begin with Brad here, um, who says, uh, uh, well, Daniel Bard has re-upped with uh, Colorado. So that's the Rockies. What a joke. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) hey, good for them. A fan base, which has, you know, had to watch their front office do a lot of dumb shit. And uh, they actually do something smart here and uh, lock up a guy who has been extremely good. Man, he would have been my number one target, I think, uh, if he was available for relief pitching, still throws gas, uh, you know, putting up great numbers at Coors Field this year, has a nasty breaking ball. You take that out of Coors, I mean, who knows what um, he could have done. It would have been a lot of fun to see. Uh, But Brad's targets, uh, Ian Happ, uh, Joe Mansupply, and uh, Merrill Kelly from uh, Arizona. That's uh, a lot of talent. Of course, Mansupply was an all-star this year. Merrill Kelly, who uh, I know has been uh, talked about a lot as far as someone the Blue Jays might have been interested in the offseason. has been really good this year uh, with Arizona, a 3.04 ERA. Uh, doesn't strike out uh, a ton of guys uh, either, um, but, you know, someone that could pitch at the back end of the Blue Jays rotation if they were to, to, to go out and get him. And uh, Ian Happ as well, who we uh, talked about earlier. Uh, what do you think about uh, any of these guys, Josh? Do you have interest in uh, Merrill Kelly or uh, Joe Mantiply? Yes, absolutely. Merrill Kelly, I think, is pie in the sky. Like uh, Arizona signed him to an extension earlier in the year. He's a little bit older. I know that they kind of stink, but I just don't see that as being super realistic. Mantiply would be great. I, I understand he doesn't throw exceptionally hard, but he walks no one and he still gets a decent number of strikeouts and he does do okay uh, in the swing and miss department. Lefty, he would be great. He would be really really good i and it's just a cool story late bloomer all-star could be one of those you know all-stars that you look back on in a couple of years and like who in the fuck was joe mantiply <laughs> but i right now he works and he's controllable for an indefinite period of time uh so he would be great but i i think you know like i could see those guys being traded kelly less so mantiply would will cost a decent chunk and like if I'm trading legitimate assets for a controllable reliever, I'd rather, you know, more bankable velocity and swing and miss. And that's why, you know, Jimenez continues to be the apple of my eye. Like it was David Bednar a while ago, but then it became abundantly clear that Pittsburgh wasn't going to be moving him. And now 
and then like maybe Detroit stupidly decides not to trade him, but this is the time to move a guy like that. You're not good. You're probably not going to be very good next year either. This is when you're going to net the most in return. So I, I think that he realistically is the guy that you should be moving the most assets for when it comes to relief help. Yeah, you know, Joe Mansupply is interesting, like you said, a guy that doesn't walk anyone, doesn't strike a ton out, but gets a shit ton of ground balls. And this is a defense, of course, an infield defense that uh, you wouldn't have too many issues worrying about that. But I think, again, it's just I need more swing and miss, uh, even yeah, though he gets a fair. decent amount of strikeouts like. You know, Tim Meza is kind of similar in that ilk uh, to Joe Mantiply, where he gets a ton of ground balls, walks a few more guys, but that's kind of who you're looking at. You're looking at, you know, Tim Meza uh, with Joe Mantiply in a lot of senses. So I'm um, not sure I need another Tim Meza, even though when he's on, he uh, is exceptional, like we saw a season ago. Uh, Merrill Kelly, uh, again, like you said, uh, probably going to cost you quite a bit. A guy with some control, uh, pitching well this year, but, you know, wouldn't mind it if the Blue Jays went out and acquired someone like him. Uh, Amon says, obvious ones, Joe Jimenez, Ian Happ, Jose Quintana for him, under the radar, Michael Fulmer, who we spoke about, Tyler Malley, who I uh, don't think could even cross the border. Uh, no, he, was, <laughs> he was unvaccinated before, yeah. although maybe he's like Andrew Benatendi and uh, you know wants to maybe uh, get a chance of winning a World Series. So uh, if he has to get the shot, he will get the shot but it uh, doesn't seem likely at this point. And a really interesting name that uh, I haven't heard a ton of people throw out there. Now he is dealing with an injury right now, so I'm not sure how interesting that would be to the Blue Jays. But Dominic Smith, who uh, you know, a couple of seasons ago was yeah. one of the better hitters in uh, all of Major League Baseball. Now it was the shortened season in 2020. Only played uh, 50 games that year, but had a 166 WRC+. Plus. Yeah. Um, is a guy that can you know mash right-handed pitching. Uh, but again, he's uh, currently on a rehab assignment uh, due to an ankle injury. So, you know, maybe not the best time to go out and, and get a guy who's obviously, you know, been hurt recently. But if it doesn't cost you much, I mean, uh, you could do a lot worse, I think, uh, as a lefty bat uh, coming off the bench that could, you know, I was going to say maybe play a couple positions. I don't know if you want that guy in the outfield. He's pretty atrocious defensively. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I will say at the very least, he's an interesting name. I'll just put it that way. Yeah, I'd, interesting name for sure. I, I don't think... Think, you know is the fit is is as good as Hap would be because of the lack of versatility defensively he's basically a first baseman uh, or a DH and with Vladdy and then you know you're rotating guys around at DH that kind of limits his opportunity to play like you said cost if it's not much then maybe it's something that you would at least consider but I think that just the lack of flexibility would probably make it um, not you know, a seamless fit or really a fit at all. The Malady things are unfortunate because, you know, a perfect world. He's uh, vaccinated. He's right at the top of the list. He's real solid. I understand that, you know, he's one of those guys who never like his ERA is always higher than his peripherals because he's a little bit prone to home runs. And maybe that that might not be the best fit for the American league East, but he misses bats and he pitches deep into ball games more often than not and gives you a chance to win. And he has good stuff. So like, it's unfortunate because I, I think actually he would be a real nice fit. And I don't know if he would necessarily cost an arm and a leg the way that some of these other types of pitchers, you know, Castillo and, and Montas uh, would, but you know, it's, that's moot. It's not happening. 
Yeah, I don't think it's happening either with regards to Tyler Maley. Uh, Omer says, if the Jays can only make one of the following trades, this is the last time I swear we will uh, talk about this question. Not that I don't like talking about it, but feels like we've been doing it for about the last month. Do you trade for uh, Soto or Otani? It's tough. I mean, just in a vacuum, you're looking at one guy who is one of the best hitters in all of Major League Baseball um, in Juan Soto, and you got him for two and a half postseason runs if you make the trade today. And uh, Shohei Otani, who will be a free agent after next season, but is uh, the maybe the best player in all of baseball um, with regards to his uh, offensive capabilities and his pitching this year, which has been just top notch. He's going to be in the conversation uh, for the Cy Young and he's going to be in the conversation for MVP as well, which is just absolutely ludicrous. Makes me think back to a couple of years ago when like Jacob deGrom was like hitting the crap out of the ball. And we've seen it before, like Madison Bumgarner. It's like, oh my God, these uh, ace pitchers can like hit the occasional home runs. Well, here is a guy that's hitting uh, like Juan Soto, but pitching like Justin Verlander uh, this year in Shohei Otani. So I think, you know, for me, uh, I th- I think I still go uh, Juan Soto just based off of the amount of control. But it's such a tough choice because Otani is just an absolute unicorn. Yeah, I think I go Soto too, but be- because of the extra year of control. But man, how awesome would it be if Otani would be uh, at any point in time wearing a Blue Jays uniform? Like it's, uh, you know, such an incredible decision to make. Like if you could theoretically choose between the two I think I'd still go with Soto, um, but it would be close. And, oh, man, Otani just – he's just appointment viewing every time he's up or every time he takes the ball. And it's just – it's so incredible and unique to have that type of player that it might be worth it alone just to have Shohei Otani even for a shorter period of time. So, like, as I'm saying this, maybe I'm talking myself into Otani after all. Yeah, that's like I said, it's uh, not an easy choice uh, to to make between those two guys. It's a very difficult one. But uh, man, if Blue Jays somehow were able to get one of those two guys, uh, I think we would be through the roof if they could get it done. Robbie asked at DFA underscore pod, they will most definitely pick up a couple of relievers. I also think they will send out one or maybe two top 10 prospects for a starter with control. I have no untouchables in the farm system. How about you guys, you know, untouchables in the farm system is so such a hard thing to talk about because I think, you know, last year, I think a lot of people, you know, we were shocked. I think a lot of people were when the Blue Jays gave up Austin Martin along with Simeon Woods Richardson for for Jose Brios because Martin obviously was a very recent draft pick. A lot of conversations coming out of the draft that he was the best pure hitter in that draft and the Blue Jays locked into this guy. Now, obviously, in hindsight, uh, we've seen that, you know, Austin Martin You know, I think he's going to be a major league player, but it's pretty clear that the power is never going to be a strong suit for him. And he was not going to materialize that as a member of the Blue Jays. So they decided to move in a different um, direction. Um, So, you know, we've seen stints of Gabby Moreno so far. Uh, We've seen Aurelvis Martinez struggle at times down in double A. Ricky Tiedemann, of course, has been um, just a guy that has skyrocketed through the system. I, I mean, nobody's untouchable for the right price. Uh, I think that's what it is. Um, but if you ask me to rank those three guys in the person I would want to give up the least, it's still probably Gabby Moreno, uh, as despite how well Ricky Tiedemann has pitched this year, because there's still a lot of risk um, with pitchers. So, you know, I would probably rank them Gabby Moreno one, uh, Tiedemann two, and then Aurelvis Martinez three, as far as, you know, we're playing the hypothetical of who's untouchable but my answer is i mean no one's untouchable for the right price 
No, agreed, 100%. And in, in the right deal, I'm trading any prospect, any combination of prospects. Like Juan Soto, I'm trading prospects. Everybody. So can, yeah, Give them all three we, of them up. Yeah, yeah we, we've established that uh, we're always in favor um, of trading prospects. You know what? I think that this could be the situation where Jordan Groshans is, uh, is dealt. Uh, like, I think we talked about this uh, in the past. I just don't see a realistic avenue to playing time here. Like Bo Bichette's going to be here for the foreseeable future at shortstop, whether it's Chapman, Arelvis is ahead of him. I think, you know, on the, like he's ahead of him in the rankings. And I just think the ceiling is higher at third base. So, you know, where's Jordan Groshans going to play? He's got one home run in more than 60 games at AAA this year. There, there was a thought to be a lot of power in that bat when he was a first-round pick in 2018. Like you could end up ruining the day that you trade him, but like in the in the right situation, you know, you get somebody impactful that can help you this year and next. Let's say maybe it's Ian Happ. Um, I'm okay with trading uh, somebody like that. Like that's that's the one that I've really honed in on that I think is more likely than not to be wearing another hat uniform. Uh, at the end of the day on Tuesday. Yeah, that, that's probably the guy, you know, I, I I can't see the top three guys that we talked about getting moved unless it's for, you know, some serious impacts, but the tier beyond that, the Jordan Groshans, the Otto Lopez's, yeah. you know, Leo Jimenez, you know, a Kloffenstein, a Sam Robertson, like those are the guys I think that could be uh, on the move uh, prior to Tuesday if the Blue Jays want to get a deal done with another team. You know, that's the price you're going to have to pay. Uh, You know, every team's, you know, prospect list is is different, of course, and how teams view it. So who knows what order, um, say, the, you know, Chicago Cubs have in a potential deal. Um, But uh, those are probably some of the names that the Blue Jays would have to give up in uh, some of these potential trades that we've talked about. Uh, Another Robert, one that goes by Robert, asks, uh, Jays are one to two years away from being a real contender. Makes no sense to trade the top prospects. They have too many needs to fix. Bench strength, bullpen, lack of left-handed hitters. These issues are best solved in the offseason. I was actually thinking about this today that, you know, with all the talk about how high the costs are that the Blue Jays may have to pay on rentals or just anyone at this deadline, it's just not a good look for the front office when, yeah, all you had to do during the offseason was maybe spend a little bit more cash on some guys. And look, maybe the Blue Jays didn't feel great about some of the free agents that were left out there. And maybe the prices still were pretty high on some of these players uh, in the trade market prior to um, the season. But, you know, now with hindsight again, you know, relying on an A. Pearson or a Julian Merriweather to, you know, try to bail you out in the pen with swing and miss, you know, maybe that wasn't the the best idea uh, to do that. Or, you know, not having uh, more depth on the bench. They went out and got Rymel Tapia, which has worked out and been a great move, but maybe it would have been nice to have, you know, some more depth uh, there. You're not going to be able to field an all-star team at the AAA level. No organization, you know, has that unless you've got some, you know, super uber prospects that are um, right on the cusp of coming up and and making a big impact. Uh, But yeah, it's just, you know, I wonder if Ross Atkins in hindsight, you know, thinks back and geez, maybe I should just done a little bit more to help us out uh, in the bullpen uh, specifically, or even in the rotation. So I wouldn't have to put myself in this spot where I'm going to have to pay out the wazoo to, you know, pick up uh, one of these rental guys. I guess like more so in the bullpen, the rotation, were you expecting Ryu is going to blow out his elbow Kikuchi to shit the bed to the extent that he has, maybe you should have planned more for those possibilities and not signed Kikuchi because you know there's with some real question marks but like they they 
made some missteps in, in that regard. The bullpen was obvious needed to be addressed and they didn't do enough. And now they're, you know, scurrying around trying to right the wrong of wrongs of, you know, March and dating back even before the lockout. So, you know, you have to look at this off season again, as the bullpen is going to be an area of need, you're going to have to improve it because like, I just think that you have to get more quality at the back end in addition to, to Romano and Garcia to an extent as well. And like whoever you get here, like maybe you do get Jimenez, then that's great, but there's still going to be guys that you need to plan for, you know, either not being here or just not being guys that you feel great about. So the, the bullpen is going to be an area of need, like it is for most teams in an off season. And you should learn from your experiences and go out there and prioritize it. And if it means getting a little bit uncomfortable, giving a multi-year deal with a decent amount of term uh, attached, uh, so be it like in a dream scenario, you sign Edwin Diaz, but I think we can all agree. Edwin Diaz is probably going to get the richest contract for a reliever in history. There's a decent chance of that. And he deserves it with the season that he's having. And the Jays just aren't, that's just not going to happen. Perfect world. It would, but that's the type of arm in some fashion that I think you need to be prioritizing. And if that means giving two or three years in free agency, so be it. Yeah, and I just wanted to address another thing here. Robert saying off the top, Jays are one to two years away from being a real contender. Uh, I don't know what that necessarily means. I mean, the Blue Me Jays too. have made some pretty big moves the last couple of years. They're going for it now. Uh, you don't sign a George Springer. You don't uh, sign a Kevin Gossman. You don't sign Jose Barrios to a big extension, bring in a Matt Chapman to be like, yeah, you know what? We're just going to go with it in 2023 and 2024. Like they are ready to win now. Um, you know, like how is, you know, are you waiting for Vladdy to have another MVP type season or, you know, Bo Bichette to get back to where he was a couple of years ago? Like, I know those guys are young, but they're ready to play now. Like eh, there's no growth really left for a lot of these guys. I mean, there is like the maturity aspect of it and, you know, they've only been around for a couple of years, but I mean, they are ready to play and and win now. So yeah, the, the Blue Jays are uh, preparing to uh, make a deep run and uh, we'll see uh, what kind of moves they make. Maybe they'll just uh, make one before we finish this podcast. And uh, as you listen to it, the Blue Jays will have done something and it'll uh, look like egg on her face because uh, maybe they uh, did trade or not trade for some of the guys that we spoke about. But let's wrap things up talking about the Teoscars for the player of the week i mean really despite going four and two on the homestand two guys really only standing out for us this week uh jordan romano being one of them three saves this week um has looked so much better um since getting a lot of rest here uh we know of course he was dealing with that illness for a while so i imagine you know that kind of sapped a lot of energy out of him and you know he was only throwing you know 94 95 but now he's back up to 99, occasionally touches 100, Josh. So uh, that's good to see. And, of course, Matt Chapman, who uh, hit four bombs this weekend against the uh, Detroit Tigers. Uh, as great as Jordan Romano has been, uh, I think it's pretty obvious for me, Josh. I imagine you as well. Uh, Matt Chapman most likely going to be uh, your Tay Oscar. Am I wrong with that? Uh, yeah, it's Chapman. He's been incredible. Uh, I saw some studies hit the most home runs by a third baseman in the month of July since Tony Batista in 2000. Uh, he had just an incredible month. The at-bats were really good. And this was just one of those cases where the early season batted ball data should probably have been, you know, foreshadowing towards what has happened. Like he was hitting the ball hard. He wasn't expanding the zone that much. He wasn't chasing that much. Uh, like all of the numbers indicated that 
it was only a matter of time before he started hitting doubles and home runs and just getting on base more. He hasn't, uh, you know, strikeout wise, it's still over 20%, but we were talking, you know, or coming into this year that if he could get it under 25% in terms of his strikeout rate, it's 26%, which is still, it's about his career norm, but it's 6% lower than it was last year and 9% lower than it was um, in 2020. You know, like in 2019, it was 22%, 2018, it was 24%. Might be a tad high, uh, but it's closer to a palatable number. And, you know, he's walking 9% of the time, um, which is a little bit less than he has in his career, but he's generally been in the 9 to 10% range. Definitely also acceptable. And, you know, when you're making as much hard contact as he is, you can live with the occasional strikeout. And, you know, that's just the type of player he is. He's like somewhat of a three true outcome guy where he walks, he strikes out and he hits home runs, but he's been mixing in more, you know, hard hit singles and doubles as well. It's just been a lot of good uh, of late and not much bad. And uh, he's been a real catalyst, certainly since the all-star break uh, in terms of what this club has been able to do. Yeah. It's been huge with the fact that guys like, Bo Bichette have been struggling. Alejandro Kirk has slowed down a little bit. You know, George Springer is banged up. And to have a guy that, you know, has been playing the way that Chapman has to, to help carry this lineup with some of the other guys on this team has been really good. And uh, who knows where they would be without his uh, efforts the last couple of weeks. All right, that'll do it for this edition of the DFA pod. We'll be back in a week's time. Hopefully, we will have plenty to talk about post-trade deadline. As always, you can get us on Twitter at DFA underscore pod, at Rob Wong 34 and at Goldberg 12 Make sure you like, review, and subscribe to the pod wherever you get it. For Josh, I'm Rob. We'll talk to you in a week's time.